Hey, this is Alex Moore, lead pastor of New Life Community Church in Kansas City, Missouri. Thanks for taking time to listen to this message. For more information or to donate, visit newlifekc.com. Trying to do is encourage you to say yes to Jesus every day. And I believe that it is the best yes that you can have is because Jesus loves you, he cares about you, and he is calling you to live the life that God intended for you. And when we say yes to him, that is the best thing that we could do because we will find true fulfillment and meaning as we learn to live the human life as God intended. Amen. Some of you are like, I don't know. Is that true? Yes, it is true. And so here's the challenge that we have is every day we have the opportunity to say yes to things. Yes, there's the opportunity to say yes to Jesus, but there's also the opportunity to say yes to so many other things. For instance, today some of you woke up and you said yes to coming to church. That is awesome. Let me just give you a little little golf clap for that. That was good. That was good. Uh, Later today, I'm going to make a decision, and I'm going to say yes to eating lunch. Anybody else going to say yes to eating lunch today? That's right. It's going to be good. I don't know what it is, but it's going to be good. Um, Tonight, I'm going to say yes to watching the Chiefs and the Bills play in the AFC divisional matchup that's going to take place in Buffalo with snow, and it is going to be so good. It is going to be Patrick Mahomes against the one and only Josh Allen, and I can tell by the faces in here, not all of you are football fans but you ought to be, and you can have time. You can go buy some Chiefs attire. I didn't wear mine today because I'm a man of faith, and I believe that they're going to be playing again next week, and you might see me in some Chiefs gear then. So we just went, you know, chill today, chill today. Um, so anyway, there's an opportunity every day for us to say yes to things. And um, just a moment ago, you guys got to hear from my dad. My dad started this church, and as his kid, he wanted me to grow up to be a man of integrity. He wanted me to be someone who was true to my word, that when I said yes, I actually stuck to my yes, and if I said no, I stuck to my no, which is actually something that Jesus taught, which is, you know, kudos to my dad. That's what you should do, dads, right? Like, teach what Jesus taught. You can't go wrong. Uh, Here's what Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 5, verse 37. In the New King James, it says, but but let your yes be yes, and your no be no. No. So I'm, I'm, I'm being raised uh, in, in, a, in a Christian home. I'm being raised by a pastor. It's got its challenges. It's unique. But my dad wanted me to be a person of integrity, and so he wanted to teach me some things. So I can remember when I was 15 years old, I'm a sophomore in high school, I chose to go out for the basketball team. Any basketball players out here? Anybody? not? So, okay, I got a couple. All right, so I like basketball. I enjoyed basketball. It's a fun sport. I still play it, but I don't feel as good today playing basketball as I did when I was 15. There's something about your knees, I don't know what it is, that the next day they don't want to work right. Um, But I'm 15 years old, I choose to go out for the high school basketball team. I'd played the year before, I played lots of sports in high school, I played soccer, I ran track, I did cross country, and so it was time for the winter sport of basketball. Signed up, went out, joined the team, and it was miserable. I did not enjoy the experience in the least. Every day after school, we had hours of practice, and I would show up, and I would put the time in. But I had one of those coaches whose favorite thing to do was to scream and yell and belittle everyone out there. And so I got to where I wasn't looking forward to going to practice and getting yelled at and belittled. It wasn't something fun. And then on top of that, he would lie. He would say the first five people to win and, and doing suicide. So you'd start on one baseline and go every line back and forth. You're going to be my starters tomorrow. 
Well, guess who is pretty good at running? Guess who was in the top five? Guess who didn't start the next game? It got to be so frustrating that I decided that I was going to quit. I wasn't going to continue to invest my time and get nothing in return. I'm, I'm investing time in practice, and then we would show up to the games, and, and I'm riding the bench. This isn't any fun. We'd drive across town and be in a basketball tournament all day long, and, and I played for two minutes. Oh, this is no fun. I, I, I decided I was going to quit, but before I did, I decided to tell my dad, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be done playing basketball. I'm going to make a wise decision. This return on investment of my time is not paying off. I'm going to just start, you know, training for, for track. Now, my dad could have approached me in a lot of different ways. Some of you are parents, and you're like, how would I respond to my child in that moment? My dad could have said, well, son, if you would just try harder, you might get in the games and play a little more. That's an option. He could have gone that route. He could have said, you know, son, if it's not making you happy you probably should do something else. He could have gone that route. There's a lot of different ways that he could have gone. He could have, you know, said, hey, we are Moors, and Moors don't quit. You ain't quitting, son. You're going to finish that season out. He could have gone a lot of different ways, but here's what he did. I know you really, you want to know what he did. First, and this, this was good, he, he empathized with me. He, he communicated to me that he understood the frustration that I was going through. He didn't dismiss it. He didn't act like it was irrelevant. He understood that I was showing up. He understood the time I was putting in. And he let me know that he understood where I was coming from, that he felt the same pain that I felt because he was driving across town to watch me play in those basketball games to only watch me sit on the bench. He, he understood where I was coming from. But, but then after empathizing, and I felt like, man, he's going to be on my team. Like, here we go. He, he wasn't. Uh, and, and so he said, son, he said, um, did anybody force you to go out for basketball this year? And I was like, why are we, why are we asking questions like this? <laughs> it has nothing to do with what we're talking about. He said, uh, did anybody force you to go out? I said, no. He said, it was your decision. I said, yeah. He said, you didn't have to say yes to this. I was like, correct. I could have said no. But he said, but you did say yes. You did go and you did sign up. And you did tell the coach that you're going to be a part of the team. You told your teammates that you're going to be there. In fact, you received the school-issued uniform for both home and away. You said yes. And son, I think it's important for you to be a person of your word. To let your yes be yes and your no be no. It was at this point in the conversation that I don't remember exactly what happened. But I remember that there was some sort of exchange between us. There was a back and forth. We, we conversed, maybe loudly. We, we, we went uh, into this place of battle, um, and, and we emerged with me deciding that it was best for me to remain true to my word <laughs> and to say yes and see my yes all the way through. And so I finished that season. And my dad made it clear. He said, listen, if you're going to say yes to something, you need to see it through. And he said, I would encourage you to weigh the cost before you say yes. And so next year, don't say yes if you don't intend to finish it. My dad wanted me to be a person of my word. And so when it came to saying yes, he always had lessons. He was like, listen, son, you can't say yes to everything. 
The way that he would teach it is this. He would say that any time that you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. Oh, there's, there's some truth in that. Like, I'm going to say yes to eating lunch later, which means I'm saying no to fasting and drawing closer to Jesus. I'm going to say yes later to watching the Chiefs and Bills. And I don't care what's on any other station. I don't care what streaming thing. I even got an email from Redbox, which I don't use Redbox anymore, but they were going to give me a free movie. I don't care. No. Keep your movie. I'm watching the Chiefs and the Bills. Anytime we say yes to something, we're, we're saying no to something else. As I was approaching marriage, my dad wanted to continue to help me to understand these things. Son, when you say yes to marrying her, you're saying no to all the other hers. That's a good lesson. And remember that basketball lesson? You need to see your yes through. Because you get into marriage, and sometimes people change in marriage. And no matter how they change, the commitment is that we're going to see this through and let our yes be yes. My dad wanted me to be a person of integrity. He wanted me to know that I can't say yes to everything in life. But what I do say yes to, I'm saying no to something else. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at a Bible story. If you have a Bible, you can open it with me. We'll put them up here in Luke chapter 5. And here's what's going to happen in this passage. We have a group of guys that are going to be given the opportunity to say yes to following Jesus. But their yes to Jesus means no to a lot of other things in their life. Because anytime we say yes to something, we're saying no to something else. So I want you to dive into this story with me. This is going to be found in Luke chapter 5. We're going to start in verse number 1, and we're going to take our time. We're going to go through this passage, verses 1 through 11. So I'll be reading today out of the New Living Translation. If you have the, the Bible app on your phone, you can follow along, and you can click and highlight some things, make some notes, um, or you can just be really good at remembering what you hear, all right? So, so here we go, Luke chapter 5, verse 1. One day, as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. So we're going to pause, we're going to slow down, we're going to try to absorb this. Can you picture the scene? Okay, we've... We've got a body of water here. We're like at the Sea of Galilee. We got Jesus, and he is preaching on the shore. We got like this little beach type of scene, but it's not like, you know, the ocean. It's you know, lake. It's it's, it's just a big lake, right? So he's there on the shore. So think about what kind of smells that you might have right there um, as you're by the water. You probably have the breeze coming off of the water. There's probably good vegetation around it because there's water there, so things are growing. So here Jesus is. He's preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he's not by himself. In fact, there are great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. It's not that he's here and they're there. They're all pressing in on him because what do they want to hear? The word of God. I mean, Jesus' popularity was increasing. He was becoming well-known. His reputation was growing. But this group of people weren't there because he told nice stories. He, they weren't there because he was a good in order. They, they were there because they believed that when he spoke that they were actually going to hear the word of God. And, and I wanted to be said of me that I was like these crowds, that I pressed in to Jesus to hear the word of God. 
I wasn't there for some superficial reason for what I'm going to get out of it, but I was there because I knew that Jesus would speak the word of God and it could forever change my life. And if God's word is going forth, it's in our best interest to listen. So one day as Jesus was preaching on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, great crowds pressed in on him to listen to the word of God. He noticed two empty boats at the water's edge for the fishermen had left them and they were washing their nets. So the fishermen who own the boat aren't in the boat, but they're nearby and they are washing their nets. I'm not much of a fisherman. I've never cleaned a net before in my life. But I have painted before, which is one of my least favorite things to do in the world. And when I get done painting, you know what the worst part of finishing painting is? Cleaning up. You got your wall looking great, it's painted, and now you got to clean all this junk up. I feel like that's probably how the fishermen felt. We've been fishing. We've been doing the fun. Now we're over here cleaning seaweed and fish guts off of our nets so that we're ready to go for the next time. Now, some of you might be wondering, well, what kind of boats did they have in this era, in this time? Well, this is the first century. Jesus is kind of the one that changed it from B.C. to A.D., right? So, like, we're in the first century. And so here's what a first century Galilean ship would have looked like, in case you didn't know. So it would have been about 26 feet long. So a a school bus is 37 feet long, you know, uh, your U-Haul with grandma's attic. You guys remember those? That's about 27 feet. That's about the length of one of these boats. And it would have had a mast on it. It would have had a rudder. It had a stern. Uh, This is kind of how the boat worked. And they would have had these nets that they would have thrown. And on the outside rim of these nets would have had weights. And as they threw it flat onto the water, those weights would pull down. And as they pulled it back up, it would scoop all of the fish and they would bring them back into the boat and then move them in. So, so Jesus is standing on the shore of the Sea of Galilee, and he sees two of these boats. Now, now, it's interesting in verse number three that it says this, that stepping into one of the boats, Jesus asked Simon, who's also, we know him as Simon Peter, asked Simon Peter, its owner, to push it out into the water. So... He sat in the boat, and he taught the crowds from there. So Jesus got all these people pressing on him. He sees two boats. He gets in a boat. He's like, hey, Simon, push me out in the water. So he pushes him out in the water. And now Jesus sits down in the boat, and he begins to talk to the crowds. Why would he do this? He just like a little personal space. All these people are in my bubble. Get me in that boat. Get me out there. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? I I think that this is really pretty cool. Because if you think about it, Jesus didn't have a microphone. He didn't have speakers. How would, how would possibly thousands of people hear one guy standing on the edge of a sea hear him speak? The waves might be crashing behind him, the birds squawking, people being people. Like, how would anybody hear him? Have you ever tried to talk in like a big crowd? Like, how would I be heard? Well, here's what's really cool. Like, even though these guys at this time didn't understand science, maybe the way that we do, who's the author of all science? God. Who's Jesus? Oh, he's the son of God. So, 
So Jesus, who actually was a part of creation, creating the world, who created physics, understood some things that maybe we are just now grasping. See, as he moved out onto the water, by stepping into the boat and then sitting down to speak, Jesus used the natural order of creation to amplify the word of God going forth. Now, there's another occasion in Matthew chapter 13 where Jesus speaks to a crowd from a boat. We don't know if it's the same exact spot or not, but a lot of historians believe that that Matthew 13 account in which he gets into this boat to speak to the crowds, they think that they know where it was. They think that they found kind of that alcove, and it's now known as the cove of the sower where Jesus gave the parable of the sower and the seed, and it looks just like this. As you look at it maybe for the first time, it kind of looks like a natural amphitheater, doesn't it? That's pretty wild. You imagine Jesus getting into the boat and being pushed out into the water and all of the crowds up along the bank. By placing himself on the water, the water, we understand now, would have reflected his voice. And there was something interesting when we think about the temperature of the air that would have taken place there, that the cooler air and the warmer air would have caused his voice to carry even further. We have this diagram of how this would have worked as people have investigated this from a more natural science standpoint, that his voice would have carried. If he would have stood, it would have changed the degree of the angle that it would have bounced off of the water. But by seating himself, it would have carried even further. Now, there's people nerdier than me who've gone all out in trying to figure this thing out. Put that next picture up, and they actually have gone to find the distance it would have been for Jesus in the center of the cove to what it would have been to the shore, to then how the shore inclined, and how people could have been positioned all the way there, what would have been graded, where the slope was, all of these different things. And Blake Engel, who is a part of a group called All Church Sound, he says this, he says, so Jesus is in a boat out in the water. He speaks. The sound waves are reflected off the surface of the water toward the shore. When they arrive at the shore, the air at ground level is now warm and the air above the ground is cooler. And this makes the sound waves bend upward up the hill. Thus, all the people seated or standing on the hillside can clearly hear what Jesus is saying. Pretty wild that Jesus, 2,000 years ago, understood some things about physics enough to be able to make sure that people could hear the word of God clearly. Verse number four. When he, Jesus, had finished speaking from the boat, he said to Simon, remember who's Simon? Peter, Peter right? And he also owned the boat. He said, uh, now... Go out where it's deeper and let down your nets to catch some fish. Now remember, Jesus saw Simon Peter and the fishermen cleaning their nets, but there was no mention of them having any fish, <laughs> of having any catch. Uh, there doesn't seem to be any fish around these fishermen. And now it seems that Jesus wanted to do something for Simon, who, who let him use his boat. And so Simon gave to Jesus, but, but Jesus always gives back more than he receives. So verse 5, Simon responds, he says, Master, which would have been a sign of respect for Jesus. Uh, Master, we worked hard 
all last night and didn't catch a thing. I think um, Jesus is trying to offer him something, but I think Peter is like a little skeptical. I think he's probably thinking like, uh, yeah, I mean, it's great that you spoke in my boat and everything, um, but bro, I'm tired. I worked all night. And um, by the way, what is it that you do? You're a carpenter. I think I know a little bit more about fishing than you. Uh, I, I know how to do this. I don't know what you're talking about. And um, it, it, it's best to fish at nighttime, not during the day. That's why I was out all last night. And by the way, all these crowds and your loud voice probably scared the fish off anyway. Uh, we've already washed our nets. We're ready to go home. Uh, Jesus, you don't know fishing like I do. This is what I've done with my entire life. Master, we worked hard all last night and we didn't catch a thing. But, but, but Peter didn't express any of this attitude. P- Peter had a reason to not cast his net out again. But, but he did. He obeyed what Jesus said. And I think this is really key. Verse 5 says that, Master, Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, I'll let the nets down again. But if you say so, because it's you, Jesus, because it's your word, I'll do it. In in verse 1, we had the crowds pressing in to to what? Hear the the word of God. After he finished, finished speaking to the crowds, he turns to Peter, Simon Peter, and gives him a personal word from God. Let the nets down again. Now, in this moment, little did Peter know that the the word that he was receiving and the person delivering it was the the same person and the same word that said, let there be light, let there be sun, moon, stars, planets. I mean, it's Jesus and his word. And we read that in Colossians 1.17, that all creation is held together and sustained by Jesus and his word. Peter says... If you say so, I'll let my nets down again. Verse 6. And this time, their nets were so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help, help, brought their partners in the other boat. And soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. 20-some foot long boats about to sink full of fish. Now, Peter, Peter could have made some excuses. And had he made excuses and not let his nets down, he would have missed God doing a miracle in his life. It was Peter's act of obedience that was followed by a supernatural blessing. If you're not experiencing the blessings of God in your life, it might be because you're not doing the first step, obeying. We have to obey in order to see the blessings come. And and there's something for us to learn here, that when when we allow Jesus to direct our lives, even if it's in an area that we think that we're an expert, we know what we're doing. Just as Peter would have, I'm a fisherman, I know this. When we allow him, Jesus, to direct our lives, when we give him permission to call the shots, when we submit ourselves to him, it makes all the difference in the results. It's no longer my power, it's his power. It's no longer my glory, it's his glory. 
Now, when Simon Peter realized what had happened, he fell to his knees before Jesus and said, Oh, Lord, please leave me. I'm such a sinful man. Up to this point, Peter had been kind of what we might call a semi-follower of Jesus. He wasn't all in. He was acquainted with Jesus. He, he liked Jesus. Jesus was all right. Um, it, it, it's pretty interesting to me that just one chapter earlier in Luke chapter 4, Jesus had been in Peter's house and healed his mother-in-law. He was familiar with what Jesus could do. He had seen a miracle of God. Now, maybe, maybe he didn't like that miracle. <laughs> maybe, just maybe, he was like, finally, the Lord's going to take her. And then Jesus came in and ruined the day and brought the mother-in-law back to life. I was watching this... Instagram reels, which can suck your life away, and it had this, this girl, I think she was the girlfriend, and she asked her boyfriend, she's like, hey, if you only had six months to live, what would you do? And he said, I'd move in with your mother. And she went, oh, why is that? And he said, because it would be the longest six months of my life. <laughs> Maybe, just maybe, Simon wasn't that excited about the miracle of his mother-in-law being saved. I don't know. But all jokes aside, Peter had already witnessed a miracle in someone's life. It wasn't in his life, but it was in someone close to him. He had been semi-following Jesus, but he hadn't yet become a true believer. Peter knows that there's something special about Jesus, but, but Peter hasn't had his own eyes open to who Jesus really is. But now there's something about this miracle. that It says that when Peter realized what had happened, what did he realize had happened? That there was a lot of fish in the boat? That's not what he had realized. He realized that something supernatural, something that had never taken place before, just took place. That God was moving in his presence, and the recognition that I am in the presence of God caused him to fall on his knees and say, get away from me, because you and I are so radically different. I'm a sinful man, and I shouldn't be in your presence. You are a holy God, and I just saw a glimpse of your glory. The disparity between us is so great, I shouldn't be here. I'm unworthy, which makes me think of another movie, but we won't go there. Unworthy, we're unworthy. A little Wayne's World for you. Um, but, but seriously, he, it brought him to his knees before Jesus because he recognized that Jesus is perfect and that he is imperfect. That, that, that Jesus and who he is is holy, and he is sinful, that, that Jesus is powerful, and Peter at best is compromised. Verse 9, it says that, for he was awestruck by the number of fish they had caught, as were the others with him. It wasn't just Peter that was like, wow, this is, no, everybody was like, whoa. His partners, we're going to learn their names, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they were also amazed. And Jesus replied to Simon. He didn't talk to John. He didn't talk to James. He's got Peter on his knees saying, I'm a sinful man. I can't be around you. And Jesus responds 
to Simon Peter and says, don't be afraid. Yeah, but, but you don't understand, Jesus. You're perfect and I'm not. Don't be afraid. Yeah, but you, you, you should probably like spite me and remove me. Like I, I shouldn't be. Don't be afraid. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. It's awesome to me that Jesus doesn't tell Simon to go get his act together and then come back and find him when he's got it all squared away. No, Jesus encourages Peter as he is. I'm a sinful man, yeah, but don't be afraid. I have a plan for your life. Don't be afraid. I'm not here against you. I'm actually inviting you into something greater. Don't be afraid. And not only is he telling him not to be afraid, but he calls him to a life of purpose and meaning and mission. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. You'll be helping catch people for eternity's sake. There's a little period of time that takes place in between verse 10 and 11, but all that we see is the next part of this. And verse 11, it says that as, as soon as they landed... They got these boats that are overflowing with fish. They got these boats somehow back to the shore. I don't know how long it took, but as soon as they landed, like when? Like we landed. They, Simon Peter, James, John, they left everything and followed Jesus. These fishermen just had the greatest catch of their lives. They were on the verge of the biggest paycheck they've ever received. All they got to go do is sell two boatloads of fish. There's some money. Man, we getting paid. Now, if I'm Peter, James, or John, you know what I'm thinking? Jesus, we would love for you to be our new business partner. <laughs> this is awesome. With you, we could be rich, and we could feed the poor. We could do whatever you wanted. Jesus, just, we need you on our team to help us to be able to, to receive what you want. As soon as they landed, they left everything. They left in the boat the greatest catch of their lives. Instead of going to seek a market for the fish, they walked away from the payday. And as easy as it would have been for them to have thought about their own selfish gain, they weren't. In the New King James Version, it says, So when they had brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. They left everything, literally walked away from these fish and the money it represented. They left their careers as fishermen. They left their livelihood. They left what they were experienced in, had been educated in. They left all of it aside in order to follow Jesus. Anytime you say yes to something, you're saying no to something else. And these men understood that to say yes to Jesus and following him, to be whatever it means to be a fisher of people, means that I'm no longer a fisher of fish. I'm no longer the old person. I'm going to go in a new direction. I'm not going to try to do two different things. I'm not trying to merge these. I'm not going to try to, to um, reject yours. I'm not going to do any of that. I'm going to actually replace mine. Uh, I talked about this last week, that when God's agenda shows up, it's always in conflict 
with my agenda. There's God's agenda, what he wants me to do, and there's what I was doing. For Simon Peter, I'm a fisherman. Jesus says, I've got a better plan for you. And in that moment of tension, there's three outcomes. We'll put them up here again. We showed you these last week. Number one, Simon Peter could reject God's agenda. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to hang on to what I am doing. Number two, this is what I'm tempted to always do, is I try to merge the two. There's God's agenda and there's my agenda, so I try to take God's agenda and add it to what I'm already doing. But that doesn't work. The third thing is what we see these guys do is instead of trying to say yes to both things, they realize I'm going to say yes to one and no to the other. And they say no to their own agenda and say yes to God's agenda. They replace their agenda with God's. As we think about this story and and what it means for us, I think that there's a lot of ways that we can relate, that we can connect to this story, that we, we understand who these people were. We understand, number one, that these fishermen, they were ordinary. Anybody else ordinary in here? Just kind of, you know, hey, it's just me. I, I, I know the behind-the-scenes version of me. I'm just ordinary. And since I know the behind-the-scenes version of me, I'm also imperfect. And these guys were imperfect. They didn't have it all together. They weren't super spiritual. And in fact, we could maybe even argue that they were a bit skeptical. Jesus, you know, we worked hard all night. This isn't going to work. But since you say so, we'll do it. They didn't even enter it full of faith. Oh, we're going to go do this and we're going to. No, they didn't, no just, we're just going to do it. But here's what's awesome. They obeyed the word of the Lord. Even though they were ordinary, even though they were imperfect, even though they were skeptical, they still chose to go ahead and obey. I don't know what the outcome's going to be, but because you said it, that's enough. I'm not doing it in order to get something. I'm not doing it because I know the outcome. I'm just simply doing it because, Jesus, you said so. So yes, I will obey you, and they let their nets down again. They'd already done this. Didn't get any results, but we'll do it again. And what was the result? Well, number one, they were humbled. What they thought they knew, that didn't mean nothing. I thought I knew how this was going to turn out. Oh, it wasn't like that at all. They were humbled. What they thought they knew, they didn't know. Number two, they became convinced. There was no talking these boys out of following Jesus now. All they had to think was, did you see the fish in the boat? It's nothing like that I've ever seen in my life. They were convinced. They didn't even know everything it meant to follow Jesus, but we're abandoning it all because that convinced us he is. He is God, and we're going to follow him. And the final thing, after being humbled and convinced, they forsook all and followed Jesus. They said no to everything else in order to say yes to following Jesus. Man, I would love for you to have this story. You may find yourself feeling ordinary and perfect and skeptical, but listen, there's an act of obedience waiting for you. And it may be something that you've done in the past, but God's asking you to do it again. He's asking you to let your nets down again. And not do it with the hope of getting some result, but just simply doing it because God said so. And if you will just simply take that step of obedience, is it a step of faith? Yeah, because you don't know how it's going to turn out. But I'm going I'm to I'm do it. I'm going to obey. 
watch out. Because I believe that God will meet you in your act of obedience. That a blessing will come. And the reason the blessing comes is for you not to receive just a blessing, but for you to be convinced of who the blessing giver is and to forsake all. They left. Simon Peter and the disciples left the blessing that God gave them in order to follow the blesser. We sometimes get so caught up in what God gave us that we miss that it was from him. Don't get caught up in the present. Get caught up in his presence. We have to keep our focus on him. And so the act of obedience that comes with this is to humble us, to help us realize we don't got it all together, that we don't know what's best. He knows what's best. And it should convince us that he's real. And with that, the next step is saying, I'm stepping over the line of faith and I am giving up my life, my all, my will. It's all yours. I'll give up everything. So, where are you? I guess the big question is, have you forsook all and followed Jesus? Have you said yes to him and no to everything else? Or have you been trying to do a merge where I can say yes to everything, yes to myself and to God? Where are we at? I want to encourage you that real life begins by forsaking all and following him. You're like, yeah, but that's scary. Jesus would say the same thing to you. He'd say to Simon Peter, do not be afraid. Yeah, but I don't know how it's going to turn out. I know. That's what makes it exciting. Is this like your choose your own adventure? No, he chooses the adventure. It's even more exciting. My kid got that book for Christmas, you know, like I never had those books. My books only had one ending. His books, it's an electronic thing, and as you turn the page, you can pick where the story goes. Wild. We like to live our lives like that. I'll follow Jesus, but I'll pick where the story goes. It's not how it works. This is old school books. Old school books. There's only one outcome. It's when we follow him. Have you forsook all and followed Jesus again? If not, I want to encourage you to let the nets down again. I want to encourage you to obey the word of God in spite of your circumstances, in spite of the excuses you might have. And maybe, just maybe, you'll encounter the power of God in your life. And God will speak purpose into you. Now, you say, well, Pastor, I, I, I have done that. Okay, some of you are there. You're like, I, I forsook it all, I'm following Jesus. I'm not perfect, but I'm, I, 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 yes, that's my heart and intention. Then, then my question for you is, have you become a, a fisher of people? See, that wasn't just something for Peter, but that's for all of us. See, when we forsake all and follow him, this is... Is what we become. So if you forsook all and you're following Jesus, but you have not yet become a fisher of people, then, then you need to recognize that it's your turn to, to man the nets, that for 2,000 years, Jesus and his church has been drawing people to him. They've been fishing for people, helping people to change their eternal destination. And it's our turn. We are the church of God on the earth today. And our function is to help those who don't know Jesus come to know him. So if you forsook all and are following him, then you should be leading others into a relationship with Jesus. And if you haven't, then maybe it's time for us to look at our hearts and see if there's any area that maybe we didn't forsake all, that we've hung on to something. And for us to recommit ourselves to giving up our will, 
our agenda in embracing God's. If you would, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. God, in the stillness of this moment, after we've sung songs of worship, after we've studied your word, as we've seen what you did in the lives of your disciples, we believe that you're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God, you want to do a work in our lives. God, I believe that your word, you want to be communicated. I ask God that you would help us to have a desire in our hearts to hear that word, that we would be like those crowds that press in. But Lord, may we not just press in to hear it because it makes us feel happy or, or because of anything other than that we want to connect with the real meaning of life, which is you. You're our creator. You're the one who established your kingdom before you ever created the earth. And Lord, you've now invited us, your creation, to participate with you in your kingdom. But Lord, the entrance is a forsaking of all in order to follow you. Lord, for that person that's in here that's identified that they have not said no to everything else to say yes to you, but they want to, I pray, Lord, that they would not be afraid, but that they, in this moment, would make a decision to choose you. It's the beginning of a journey, the beginning of a path. They're gonna learn so much on this path about what it means to live a life of faith. But in this moment, Lord, would you meet them where they're at? Would your Holy Spirit invade their heart? And Lord, would you give them a confidence and an assurance of their eternal destination that they would recognize how good you are, that you would allow them to experience your blessing, that they would be humbled, that they would be convinced, and that they would never, ever leave the path of following you. And for those that have made that decision, but Lord, as they look at their life, maybe they've become just kind of an inwardly focused Christian. They're focused on their own Bible reading and their own prayer and their own spiritual disciplines, but they're not really thinking about the people that are in their life, in their family, in their jobs, in their neighborhood that need to know you. Lord, I pray that you would begin to shift their hearts, their focus, their attention. Lord, I pray that you would reveal any areas in their life that are a distraction that maybe has caught them up, a hurdle, an obstacle from fulfilling their purpose on this earth. And Lord, may we all myself included in this moment. May we genuinely look to you. May we position ourselves for you, Lord, to have your way. God, I want to forsake all and follow you. Help me, Lord, to walk this out. And may it not just me be me, but may this whole church community, may we together move towards you. God, we thank you. We love you. We desire you. And for those that, Lord, are not in this room, for those that have not heard this message, Lord, help us to live a message that would reach them with the good news of who you are. May we see our church not just be us, but, Lord, may it grow. May new people come week after week, not just because they found us online, but because we invested in them we invited them, and we're able to see their lives changed. We thank you, God, for allowing us to be a part of this church. We thank you, God, for allowing us to be a part of your plan. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message. For more information, please visit newlifekc.com.